0: This life study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. Joining us for fellowship once again is Dictator. Welcome back, Dick. Thanks, Chris. We've come today to our second message covering the battle between the children of Israel with Amalek in Exodus 17. Dick, tell us the story here and what is represented in our experience by this Amalek.
1: This battle against Amalek is the first actual battle that the children of Israel are directly involved in. Up to this point, God has basically fought the battle for them. Now he needs them to cooperate with him. This is after the Lord has led them, fed them, and the Lord has quenched their thirst. Now they're ready to face this most subjective and long-lasting enemy— in fact, it says in these verses, God will war against this enemy from generation to generation. This enemy, Amalek, signifies the flesh. This is not an outer enemy. This is an inner enemy. We need to know how to fight against this enemy. This enemy, Amalek, seeks to trouble, occupy, and even destroy our Christian life. We may think, oh, I've matured a lot. I've been a Christian for many, many years. But we have to realize that our flesh, Amalek, can never be improved, can never be changed, or even be influenced by us. We need to realize there's only one way for the flesh, and that's death. So in this battle against Amalek, God charged Moses, Aaron, and Hur to go up to the hill to pray and Joshua to actually take the lead to fight against the Amalekites. So while Joshua and the others were fighting, Moses, with Aaron and Hur, were interceding and praying. We will never overcome the flesh signified by Amalek unless we have a prevailing prayer life. So through this broadcast, may we all be infused with the Lord to be strengthened in our prayer life that this battle might be won against this most subtle enemy, the flesh.
0: Well, Dick, let's go to this first portion of Witness Lee's sharing. We're going to see that the book of Exodus is divided into two major sections, and we're right at the turning point now as we come to this very key point, the children of Israel engaging in the battle with Amalek. Here's Witness Lee.
2: Exodus chapter 17 stresses very much the fighting against Amalek. From chapter 1 through chapter 17, we have a full picture of God's salvation. From the dealing with the world to the dealing with the flesh. God's chosen people were there in Egypt. That we know means in the world. Then God came in to deal with the world. And then God made a strong redemption for them. And a strong deliverance for them from the world. And then they passed through the way of salvation. Enjoying all kinds of supplies. Now to the last step, God came To deal with Amalek. That means what? To deal with the flesh. Many, many times, we have to look at the Bible in a bird's eye view. You have to get into the air from the above and look down. You could see even 17 chapters, they just show us one picture. At the beginning, the picture... Shoes us the world. The ending of this picture, it shows us the flesh. This gives us a very good impression that as God's chosen people, firstly, we were there under the tyranny of the world. Then after we got saved, redeemed, and delivered, and even after we have enjoyed so much of the divine provision on the way of salvation till when very subjective enemy is here that occupies us, bothers us, and even destroys us. And this enemy is not the world, but the flesh. Then after this, have you noticed? In chapter 18, the kingdom comes in. The whole chapter 18 shows us the kingdom. After we have been delivered out of the world, after we have enjoyed all the divine provisions, and after our flesh is dealt with, we will be in the kingdom. Amen. Isn't this a good news? Amen. From chapter 18 to the end of the book, that is a big section. And that section is what? It's the kingdom. Actually, you must, what? Defeat the enemy. You must overcome the world. And you must deal with your flesh thoroughly. Then you are in the kingdom to build up God's dwelling place. Not only with the tabernacle, even with the temple. You know the story. How David fought the battle and how he gained the victory. Then he, son Solomon, enjoyed the kingdom. In the enjoyment of the kingdom, the temple was built. And here, in Exodus, in the last section, from chapter 18 through chapter 40, the principle is the same. The word was defeated, and uh, the flesh was dealt Now, the redeemed people are in the kingdom of God. In the enjoyment of the kingdom, they built the tabernacle.
0: Dick, I thought this was a really good overview of the central thought of Exodus. The first section of this book, these 17 chapters, really show the enemies of the world and sin in the flesh and the need of God's people to gain a victory over all of these enemies. Then what follows in the second section after these battles is the kingdom. Why do these enemies need to be dealt with, Dick, before God can bring in the kingdom? The flesh is the last enemy against
1: God's kingdom and keeps the church from being built up. Without the kingdom, there's no kingship, there's no headship, there's no church, there's no body. The building up of the church, which is the building up of the body of Christ, depends on the kingdom, which involves the kingship, which involves the headship. If there is no headship, no kingship, no kingdom, how can there be any building up of the church, which is an organic matter, a life matter? That means how could there be any building up of the body of Christ? For 19 centuries, the divisions and confusions among Christians— have been mainly brought in through the flesh without the kingdom and without the kingship of Christ. This is a serious matter. So without the kingdom, there's no way to have the building up of the church, the building up of the body of Christ. I was thinking, Chris, of Romans 8, where it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you're about to die. But if you, through the Spirit, put to death the practices of the body, you will live. Then in chapter 12, it mentions the body of Christ, the church. Then in chapter 14, it tells us the church is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom and the church are equated. There's no way to have the building up of the church without the kingdom. There's no way to have the kingdom without dealing with this enemy, Amalek, the flesh. Believers need to be those who take the lead to exercise our spirit, to be one with Christ who's the life-giving spirit, to put to death this subtle enemy in our daily life, even moment by moment. And no doubt the best way is to turn ourselves to the Lord in our spirit and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. As you call on his name, he as the Spirit executes that subtle enemy, the flesh. But remember, this war goes on from generation to generation. We never graduate from this battle.
0: Dick, that is very striking, this matter of the ongoing nature of the battle with Amalek. This first section of Exodus shows us these three great enemies to God's people, the world and the devil, Satan, and now the flesh. And in the Lord's dealing with the children of Israel, it seems that there was a once-for-all dealing with the devil, represented by Pharaoh when he was covered in the Red Sea with his armies, and the dealing with the world bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt solved that problem. But this battle with Amalek, it seems, rages, as you said, from generation to generation. It's a lifelong encounter that's going on in our lives.
1: That's true. We can never graduate from this battle, and our maturity does not just overcome this automatically. We need to remain in our spirit with Christ as the life-giving spirit
0: to constantly deal with this subjective enemy. Well, Dick, at this point, I think it would be helpful if we looked at these verses in chapter 17 that show us just how it was that Moses and the children of Israel prevailed over Amalek. You referred to this in your introduction. This is verses 9 through 16, or portions of these verses. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And when Moses lifted up his hand... Israel prevailed, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Jehovah said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, for he said, There is a hand against the throne of Yah. Jehovah will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Dick, in this passage, another character has appeared on the scene here in verse 12, and that is Hur. Who was Hur, and what does he represent in this passage?
1: Hur is from the tribe of Judah, and Judah represents kingship because it was out of this tribe that all the kings of Israel came. And her is needed due to a shortage of kingship many times. We may either be in a state of rebellion toward the Lord or even in a state of disobedience against God's inward restraining. A little rebellion or disobedience to the Lord and even to the Lord's inner restraint causes our prayer life to collapse. For example, Maybe you're going somewhere or doing something you shouldn't do. Inwardly, there's a restraining sense from the Lord within you. If you go against this restraint, then you go against his kingship. The kingship is needed to keep your hands up, to keep you supported and sustained in your prayer and in your fight against the flesh. So may we cooperate with the Lord and enjoy the kingship represented by her.
0: Dick, I did want to point that out because we're talking about a person's name here, her who was from the tribe of Judah, representing the kingship. And the kingship is going to become very important as we go farther along in looking at this battle between Israel and Amalek. Let's rejoin Witness Lee.
2: According to New Enhancement, Paul tells us our old man, the fallen old man, has been crucified because... It is hopeless. In the New Testament, the destiny of the flesh is just to be put to death. And don't think some part of your flesh is not so good, but some part of your flesh is wonderful. Even it may be wonderful in your eyes, but in God's eyes, it is still rebellious. It's still ugly. God doesn't make Amalek at all. God decided to blot out the name of Amalek. And God decided to war against Amalek from generation to generation. God told his people again and again and again, you have to fight Amalek. The Bible tells us how God hates the flesh. To deal with our flesh, it does not only need Christ to intercede. It also needs that we have to pray. Moses praying on the mountaintop typifies Christ interceding in the heavens. Moses needs Aaron and her to stay up his hands. This signifies that we have to pray. Moses on the mountaintop Not only typifies Christ interceding, but also typifies we have to pray. When you pray, you are Christ interceding in the heavens. When you kill your flesh, you are Joshua. For Christ interceding, he doesn't need anyone to stay up his hands. But for us to pray, we need to To stay up our hands. Our praying hands are easy to become heavy. So you need Aaron and you need her. Aaron no doubt signifies priesthood. And her signifies the kingship. We have the priesthood to support our prayer life. And we have the kingship to support our prayer life for the building of the temple. How to fight against the flesh? By praying. You have to pray on the mountaintop. You have to join Christ. He's interceding there. He is praying. Making his intercession your instant prayer. Pray in the heavens. On the throne. And take a good care of the priesthood. And also take a good care of the kingship. To get yourself stirred up in your spirit and to get yourself subdued to God's authority. And whatever you do in your prayer, you must have the tendency toward God's building of His house.
0: Well, Dick, this is a very detailed, even profound section of the Word. The great enemy of God and His people is the flesh. And we've seen that the only way that Israel prevailed against the flesh, typified by Amalek, was when Moses prayed. Prayer is the only way. Dick, what's the significance of Aaron and Hur holding up Moses' hands while he made intercession for Israel?
1: Well, we know for sure that Christ is living and he is the interceding Christ even this very moment. But he also needs us to pray. And the Lord himself surely needs no strengthening for his prayer. But we on the earth, we need our prayer life supported and sustained. So the significance of Aaron and her holding up Moses' hand indicates we need the strengthening and support and sustaining that comes from Aaron and her. Now, Aaron signifies the priesthood, and the priesthood is related to our contact with God. As New Testament believers, our priesthood is related to our spirit. We need to be stirred up in our spirit, and we need to be strengthened in our spirit in order to sustain a proper prayer life. So we need Aaron. The proper prayer life is a life of contacting God in the spirit. We need strengthened and stirred up in our spirit. So this is signified by Aaron at least holding up one hand. On the other hand, we have her, and we mentioned that her signifies the kingship. So we don't want to be those who are in a state of rebellion or even being a little disobedient to the Lord, especially to His inner restraining and His inner leading. We want to be those who say, Amen, Lord. As we go along with the Lord's inner restraint, that is His kingship signified by her, our prayer life is upheld and sustained. So in conclusion, we need stirred up and strengthened in our spirit for our prayer life. This is signified by Aaron. And we need to be subdued and submissive to the kingship in the inward restraining of Christ. Then we'll have the adequate support for a proper prayer life to defeat Amalek.
0: Dick, these are really good pictures. As we read these verses, we see really there were three elements that sustained Moses in his prayer life, the two that you just talked to. The third was a rock that he sat on. Let's join Witness Lee. We're going to find out about the rock.
2: They brought a rock, and Moses sat upon the rock. Our prayer life must have a solid base. The solid base is this, when you decide to pray, you have to realize you yourself cannot do it. When you are going to pray, it's better to say, Lord, I just cannot continue in prayer all the time. Lord, I take you as my base. I myself cannot make it. In other words, you yourself cannot keep praying all the time continually. No. No. You may pray in the morning watch. But here it tells us, Moses prayed till the sun sight. Why? He had a rock to sit on. And he had Aaron and her supporting him. We need a solid base. Whenever you go to pray, you better tell the Lord. The first word, you have to say, Lord, I just cannot pray unceasingly. I cannot pray without sitting. I cannot make it. I can lose my temper without sitting. I can gossip for 24 hours. That's easy for me. But for me to pray unceasingly, Lord, I must tell you, I could only do five minutes. But I cannot make it to pray till sunset. If you would say this, you are sitting on a rock. You get the solid base, the solid ground. The biggest problem with us is our prayer life. If you would just take care of the solid base, take care of Aaron, the priesthood, take care of her, the kingship, and also take care of the building of the tabernacle, your prayer life may be preserved, may be stayed up all the time. Don't forget, when Moses' hand were done, the Amalek became prevailing. When all prayer life becomes heavy, our flesh will prevail. Only prayer life can defeat our flesh.
0: Dick, this is another of the marvelous pictures that we've come to love and enjoy in Exodus. This time, a picture that shows us the only way we can ever Overcome the flesh is to pray. And Moses prayed all the day, or without ceasing to use the New Testament term. To do this, he had to sit on a rock, Dick. We've seen that his arms were each upheld, one by Moses, one by her. Now, what is the rock that we need to find in our prayer life?
1: Isn't this an awesome picture? Both hands are upheld, and now we need something under us to support us. This rock. Actually, Chris, signifies Christ Himself. I was really touched with our brother's prayers from this broadcast, and I'd just like to repeat them again. I hope all of you who are listening would pick up these prayers and apply this principle. Surely Christ will become the rock of your prayer life. Let me read this portion again. Lord, I'm not able to continue in prayer, I need a solid base for my prayer and I take you as such a base." This indicates that Christ Himself needs to become the solid rock of our prayer life. We need Christ as this rock to sit on. And there's only one way to really experience this Christ, and that is to genuinely open up to Him in an honest way and to admit to Him, I cannot persevere. I cannot last long in prayer. Lord, I need you as my sustaining and supporting strength. Then you will have Christ as a rock in your prayer life. So when we pray in an honest way, really opening up our heart to the Lord about our real situation, the Lord himself becomes that solid base of that rock upon which we sit.
0: Dick, we need the kingship. We need the priesthood. But we really need this rock to sustain this kind of prayer life if we have any hope of dealing with the flesh. We sure do. Thank you once again for your fellowship. More marvelous pictures, aren't there, in this book than I think we ever imagined.
1: I never realized how much help we could get for our Christian life.
0: Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee spent seven decades in the 20th century speaking Christ, first in Asia and then North America, eventually all over the world. The culmination of those 70 years of ministry was his Life Study of the Bible, an exhaustive exposition of the entire scriptures. This unique commentary focuses on how Christ can be life to man, in an experiential and practical way. These programs encapsulate Witness Lee speaking in just 26 minutes. But to get the complete riches, visit lifestudy.com. From there, you can read all of the Life Study messages in their entirety or download any of our more than 1,700 audio programs at no cost. Again, that website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.